0: with me to the book of Genesis again, if you will. We're going to continue our series, Why Do We Believe That?, talking about the uh, different worldviews that uh, has made its way into people's thinking all across the planet, not only in different nations, not only in different states, not only in different communities, but in different churches, and even within the same church, different worldviews, different beliefs, and as we teach in our hope classes, uh, there is some freedom to believe some things, contrary to what your neighbor may uh, believe. We, we talk about necessities and, and uh, non necessities, and there's some things that we can differ on, and that's okay, but there's some things we have to stand upon no matter what. Uh, this week I had, had a thought and, and, and made a Facebook post out of it. Uh, Jesus is not a son of God. He is. The Son of God, Jesus is not a way to heaven. Jesus is the way to heaven, and there's there's no room for discussion on matters like that, are they? But on some things, there are some freedom to slightly disagree on. So that that's what led me to uh, bring up this series. Why do we believe that? And we're just studying the different doctrines. And uh, as Pastor Darrell has said, you know that word doctrine. Uh, It's just a word for what we believe. That's really what it is. And so tonight, we're going to finish up the doctrine of creation. The doctrine of creation. And, uh, you know, everything is built upon a foundation, isn't it? And if you don't get the foundation right, nothing else stands. It's like the parable Jesus told about uh, the wise man building his house upon a rock. Storms came, winds blew, rains poured down, and that, that house stood strong. But then there was a foolish man who built upon the sands. We all know what happens when you build on sands, especially some of you folks from Florida. You don't build on sand and anything stand, does it? No. You've got to put a foundation under it. So we're talking about foundations, and we're talking about the foundation of creation. Again, serious questions, fundamental questions like, where did we come from? Uh, why are we here? Is, is there a purpose? You know, so many people today are really, really struggling with what their purpose is being on planet earth and that's a major issue that's a major problem is there a purpose is there a goal behind everything that we see and everything that we experience and if ever a time that has been pushed to the forefront of is there a purpose to all this it would be 2020 can i get an amen is there a purpose is there a goal behind everything that we're seeing everything that we're experiencing is there a purpose behind it or is life one big cosmic accident? Did the Play Doh just go kaboom one day, and next thing you knew, we had millions of stars and several planets and some one-celled amoebas crawling around on planet Earth, and we began to evolve, and what a mess we've turned into now, right? I don't think so. These are simple questions. They are. I, I, they are. They're simple questions, they're straightforward questions. But here's what I believe, folks, and I'll go to my grave believing this. They are simple questions. They are straightforward questions. But the Bible has the answers. I need nothing else other than the Word of God to build my foundation upon. It's the one true, sure foundation. Again, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth didn't have any shape. And it was empty. Darkness was over the surface of the ocean. At that time, the ocean covered the earth. In other words, it was all one big ball full of water. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. God said. You need to underline that. You need to highlight that in your Bible. God said. There was nothing. And then God said. And God said, let there be light and there was light as we talked last week in the beginning god created that's so important to know and understand and we don't need to take that lightly that that's not just a catchphrase that's the beginning of everything we know it in the beginning god created all of creation as i said last week all of creation owes itself not to chance not to impersonal forces but to Almighty God. That word origin. What is our origin? Our origin begins with Almighty God. He created everything out of what? He created everything out of nothing. The Bible says in the beginning, not when God began to create, as if there was this timeless matter, some cosmic Play-Doh we said last week, that God just kind of stumbled across it one day as he was taking a stroll and decided to refashion it and to shape it into what we see today. We celebrate the fact that God is eternal. God's eternal. He's self-existent. God needs nothing. And I hate to feelings, but God needs no one. And that doesn't mean we're not important. We're very important to God. But God doesn't need us, but how many would say amen to this? We need God. We need God. He's eternal. He's self-sufficient. Everything owes itself to Him. How did He create? He created by His Word. He created by His Word. One of the constant refrains, one of the constant phrases we see repeated again and again and again here in Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis chapter 2 verse 3 is this, And God said, and God said, The picture, again, is not God toiling and laboring over his work. It's not a picture of trial and error. It wasn't like God said, well, let's try this. No, that didn't work out. You know, that would have been the first thing I would have done if I'd have been the creator, right? Create Adam and Eve, put them in the garden, they disobeyed me. gone, let's do this again. But see, that's not God, is it? That's not God. His words are power. Say power. His words are power. What does His words do? His words create. His words create. And His words are perfect. His words are perfection. Whatever He says happens exactly the way He says it. He created all things. Nothing that exists was created apart from God creating it. That's what Genesis chapter 1 through genesis chapter 2 verse 3 is all about what it's all about the all-encompassing account of origins from stars and galaxies to the little microscopic things you have to look through a microscope to see god created it all sadly god created viruses i don't know why but he knows right but he knows Genesis chapter one through chapter two verse three, and I love to do this on the computer. Do y'all ever use Google Earth? I mean, you talk that—that's God's view, isn't it? I mean, you can just back off and look at the whole planet, and you with a couple of clicks, you can zoom in and look at Daryl's house online. Look at my house online. You got the Google uh, view where you can back off and see everything basically as God sees it, and, and that's what Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis chapter 2 verse three, uh, th- verse 3 is the Google Earth view of creation. It's the big picture. Now, I can remember as a teenager spending some time with a gentleman who didn't argue but had got it in his mind that Genesis chapter 1 was a view of creation and then chapter 2 was another view of creation and they were separated from one another and they meant different things and that's not the case that's not the case chapter 1 through chapter 2 verse 3 is that zoomed out version that's the big picture and then when you get into chapter 2 verse 4 we zoom into the street view okay we get up close and personal And we see the creation of humanity and everything that begins to transpire. Now, what we have to keep in mind is they're not two separate accounts. Again, who wrote the book of Genesis? Moses. Moses wrote the book of Genesis. Moses wasn't there, was he? So how did he get this? I mean, you're talking about detailed information. Where did Moses get this detailed information from? God revealed it to him. God said, Moses, grab a pen and paper. I'm going to tell you how everything came about. Wow. Wow. So they're not two separate accounts, but they complement one another, just like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. right? Not different accounts, just different perspectives on the same story as it begins to unfold. Plus, it's important to remember. It's very important to remember as we study God's Word. It wasn't until the uh when was it 16th century it wasn't until the 16th century that they added chapter and verse numbers to the word of god prior to the 16th century there was no chapters and verses it was just one bulk piece of writing different books genesis was a book exodus was a book Exodus was a book. Numbers was a book. They didn't have chapters and verses. It was one continued uh, transcription of what God was saying. So, Moses fully intended on chapter one and chapter two to be read closely together with the first chapter being identified as part of the same event as the second chapter providing additional explanations. Kind of like Jesus would teach in parables. Jesus would teach the parable, and then he would come back and give the answer and further explain what he was saying. Genesis chapter 1 gives us the creation account, and then chapter 2 comes along, complementary to it, and begins to give us details of chapter 1, okay? So, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at four non-Christian worldviews. Say non-Christian. So don't get confused. These first four things that I'm going to give you is not what any Christian believes. Now, as we started this series, I told you, everyone has a worldview. Now, whether you know you have a worldview or not, you have one. Brother Steve, what's a worldview? It's how you view the world. That's complicated, ain't it? How do you view the world? What makes the, Where did the world come from? What keeps it going? What's going on in the world? What's the purpose of life? All those things, those are included in an individual's worldview view. So we're going to look at four non-Christian worldviews to begin with, and then we're going to look specifically at how the Bible describes God's relationship to his creation, and then to finish up, we're going to look at God's crown achievement, the crown jewel of creation. You know who that was? Adam and Eve. No, Adam and Eve. Yeah, Adam and Eve. That's okay. Jesus came from Adam and Eve, did he not? Absolute humanity. We're going to look at humanity. So, I had listening guides printed, and they're laying in the office. So you can just write on the back of your hand, okay? Just flip your hand over and take your pen out and scratch scratch this down on the back of your hand. Or if you got, yeah, you got a key, you got a key. They're in there somewhere, sister. In the meantime, we'll play Bible trivia. Okay, we'll take a second to go get them. Show sure enough. We'll catch up. We, we can catch up. I'll tell you what the first one is as we go. The, the first one is this. Four non-Christian views of God and creation. Now, here's what we know. There have been many, 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 uh, uh, many, many worldviews put forth to explain God's relationship with to his creation. Again, it all has to do with your worldview. The first view is is actually a worldview that is enjoying a resurgence, if you will, thanks to the infamous billionaire spokesperson. Anybody want to guess? Oprah Winfrey. This first one that I'm going to give you is what Oprah Winfrey has decided that she believes. It's called pantheism. Pantheism. Pantheism is what the Stoics of the first century believed. It's what the Buddhists believe. It's what the Eastern cultured people believe. It's what the New Age religions believe. And what pantheism teaches is that, that God is everything. God's everything. The word pan, the prefix to this word, the word pan means all. Theism, Theo, God, all God, God all. Thus everything is God. Oprah Winfrey, in an interview, said this about her definition of God. Now listen, here's Oprah Winfrey's definition of God. She said, my definition of God is the all, the all in the all, through the all, above the all, in the all. My head just started hurting. You know, is that not ridiculous? He said, my definition of God is the all, the all in the all, through the all, above the all, in the all. Now, according to pantheism, what we all need to do is get in touch. Get in touch, right? We need to get in touch. We need to get in touch with, we need to become one with the divine. Now, if you ain't careful, some of this stuff sounds scaringly close to what we believe. But it's not what we believe at all. I mean, we need to be in touch with God, don't we? We need to become one with God. But the only way we can have a relationship with God, the only way we can get in touch with God, the only way that we can become one with God is through His Son, Jesus Christ. And pantheism leaves Jesus Christ out of the equation. According to pantheism, God has no distinct personality. He's just all. He's that chair. He's that microphone stand. He's this pulpit. He's this microphone. He's air. He's bugs. He's sky. He's a virus. God is all. How ridiculous is that? God is everything. God is all. He's not immutable or unchanging, proof being The the universe is always changing, so God is always changing. This is what pantheism teaches. God isn't in any sense morally perfect because the evil in the universe is also part of God. If God is good, then God has to be evil. And if God is holy, then God has to be sin. Ridiculousness, pantheism. One of the significant challenges to the pantheist is that the divine exists as much in the most morally reprehensive acts as it does in beauty or delicious food. God is all and in all. Even more importantly, there's no God on the outside who can break in to rescue us. So pantheism has no hope to offer, do they? no hope to offer whatsoever number two dualism 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 again folks as we read through these and as i explain them in brief detail you'll find snippets of information that sounds familiar that sounds familiar why because everything began with truth everything began with truth And every worldview that's out there is a spin-off of the absolute truth. And since humans can't create something out of nothing, they have to start with some idea to build their idea upon it. Dualism. It's the idea that there are two ultimate forces in the universe, good and evil. Who would argue with that? Sometimes presented as God and matter. That's where they lose you. That's where they lose me. An easy and simple way to remember what dualism is is to think about the word itself in multiple spellings. Dual, meaning two, good and evil. And what is good and evil doing? They're having a duel, a D-U-E-L. They're in battle with one another. Thus, dualism is a battle between good and evil, resulting in protracted cosmic struggle for supremacy. So basically what dualism believes is there is some sort of forceful amount of good out there and some sort of forceful amount of evil out there and they're warring with one another. And in the end, one of them's going to win. This is the worldview perpetuated in the Star Wars series. Think about Star Wars. Good versus evil. You've got the Jedi, and you've got the Sith. And the Jedi is good, and the Sith is bad, and they're two dueling forces of good and evil. In dualism, the spirit is good. Now, I said in dualism. Again, I'm not teaching truth yet. I'm just teaching facts about these non-Christian worldviews. In dualism, they say the spirit is good, but the body is evil, so we have to somehow escape this body and go somewhere for some amount of time in order to be good, to graduate, be promoted. And again, that might all sound well and good, but dualism denies God's lordship over creation and the goodness of the created world. In the new heavens and the new earth, Here's a fact. In the new heavens and the new earth, we don't become some disembodied spirit. Our souls will leave this body one day, and God will give us a brand new body. Amen? Aren't you thankful for that? Deism. Deism. Now, this one is very popular with our younger generation right now. let me tell you, I've had many conversations and I hear what they're saying, and this is what a lot of young people are saying today. Number three, deism. Deism is the view that God is not presently involved in his creation. He created it, but he's distanced himself. He's removed himself from what he made. In other words, God is a divine clockmaker, and he created all things, he created the clock of creation he wound it up and now he's just letting it unwind and tick until it's finished this of course runs counter to Christianity doesn't it we believe in the sovereignty of God don't we we believe. I believe and I, I hope you believe I believe in the sovereignty of God to the degree that every speck of dust in existence today has a purpose, and God is controlling that speck of dust for His honor and for His glory and for our good. I mean, every once in a while everybody needs a good sneeze, right? So everything has a reason. Everything has a purpose. But this runs counter to Christianity because Christianity asserts that not only is God presently acting to sustain creation, but He continues to work in creation, most notably the incarnation of His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, how could deism believe that God has any part in the ongoing actions of creation? You think Jesus was just a thought that Mary and Joseph had and they thought they would just play charades and claim that Mary was a virgin and gave birth to a son, and this son just happened to be able to perform every miracle known to man, including raising people from the dead, as Pastor Darrell was preaching today. See, Christianity disproves this completely and totally, doesn't it? Completely and totally. God is the creator. God is the sustainer. God is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end and everything in between. Number four, materialism. Materialism, better known as naturalism. I like the phrase naturalism better because as as Pastor Darrell was talking about this morning, the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, and, and materialism will lead you to believe something else about materialism. We'll we'll call it more so naturalism. The materialist or the naturalist view of the world. Again, it's not what it initially sounds like. It's not the worldview where, where their followers are looking to get rich and buy big homes and fast cars and designer clothes. Materialism is the view that the material universe is all there is. What they believe is look around, enjoy, enjoy it to the fullest because this is all there is. Again, what does it do? It removes hope from the equation. There's no hope. There's no hope. This is all there is. Make the best of it. Make the best of it. Men like Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, they are the contemporary advocates of this worldview as well as the late Christopher Hitchens. Materialism says that we live in a closed world. We live in a closed world. And no force from the outside, call it God or call him or or it anything you want to, can enter in and disturb the physical world. They believe our lives are governed purely by impersonal laws operating over strictly natural phenomena. It just happens. It just happens. There's no purpose. There's no reason. Creation is not a gift given by a loving creator, but an epic, purposeless accident. big accident. We all came into existence. According to the materialist, you owe your existence to an epic accident. Don't that make you feel all warm and fuzzy on the inside? You're just an uh uh-oh. You're just an accident. Make the best of it, though. If materialism is true, concepts like good and evil are just the constructs of the human thought and human mind. But in this worldview... We're forced to argue, and here's, here, I hear this from young people today too, within the worldview of, of materialism or naturalism, we're forced to argue that the actions of rapists and pedophiles and sodomites and serial killers are not really wrong in any objective sense of the word. There's no good, there's no evil, it's just material existence, and basically whatever comes, goes, and whatever goes, comes. Now we know, and I know you know, and we believe that these four worldviews run entirely contrary to the biblical account, don't we? Why? Because they either deny God's superiority over his creation, or they obliterate his relationship with it all together. So let's move on. Now those was the four worldviews. Now we're going to look at God's relationship to creation. Again, God is not the masterful clockmaker. He didn't just create it and wind it up. And now he's allowing it to tick. No. God is heavily, heavily, heavily involved in his creation because God created us to have a relationship with us. So, what is God's relationship to creation? And we've got to get this and we've got to understand this God is distinct from creation. Yet God is always involved in creation and is always dependent, and and all of creation is totally dependent upon God. Let me say that again because I almost spit it out wrong. God is distinct from creation, yet God is always involved in creation, and creation is always and forever eternally dependent upon God. If you agree with that, say amen. As I've already mentioned, creation itself isn't self-created. And it's not self-sustaining. To the degree that my heart will not beat one more beat unless God gives it permission to beat. How many people on the planet today, somewhere around six or seven billion people, God is managing their heartbeats? God is managing them breathing. Can you imagine? Is that not far beyond any amount of comprehension? That, that's just humans. Think about animals and bugs and trees and rain and snow and all of, all of creation. God is so magnificent and God is so superior that he is managing all of creation, yet he has time time sit down and talk with a little boy or a little girl that falls down and scuffs their knee. It's time to listen to you when your heart is broken. When you're going through a Thanksgiving season and life isn't everything you thought it would be in 2020 and you're having a hard time, God says I can do that and this. Pour your heart out to me. I've got time to listen. I've got time to explain some things to you. The stability of humanity as well as the stability of all The universe depends upon the sustaining power of Almighty God. Paul affirms this dependence in Acts chapter 17. God is not served by human hands, but you preach all the time that we are to serve God. We are, but God doesn't need us to serve Him. We've got to understand this in context. God is not served by human hands. In other words, God's not depending upon us for anything, but we are totally dependent upon Him. He is not served by human hands. He doesn't need anything. Why? Because he himself gives life and breath to all people. He also gives them everything else they have. No, Steve, I disagree. I work for that. I mean, I got up early and, and I stayed out late and I worked and told and everything I have came from my hard work and my determination and my work ethic. It's mine because I earned it and it's mine. Uh, Where would you get your breath from? Pastor Darrell spent a lot of the morning this morning talking about dead people can't do anything. Right? So who is it that gave you life to get up early in the morning to go work the job, to make the money, and buy what you have and enjoy what you have? It all goes back to God. Now you understand why we're preaching through doctrines of. When we understand the doctrine of creation, it gives us a whole different perspective on life, doesn't it? a whole different worldview of life. God's not served by human hands. He doesn't need anything. It's He Himself who gives life and breath to all people. He also gives them everything else they have. In Him, we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have also said, we are His children. Here's what the Gospel tells us. The Gospel tells us of our God who is above all the earth and is so concerned for his creation that he sent his one and only son to save it. That's concern, isn't it? That's concern. He had one son and had billions and billions and billions of people on planet earth and God sent his one son to save the billions. That's a God who is involved with his creation. That is a God who has a relationship with his creation and so the traditional way that Christians speak about God's relationship to the world is in the terms of his transcendence and his eminence transcendence when we talk about God's transcendence here's what we're talking about we're talking about his kingship We're talking about his lordship. We're talking about his majesty. We're talking about his holiness. God's transcendence means that God is distinct from but sovereign over all of creation. So he's far above us, isn't he? Say amen. He's far above us, but he's directly and intimately involved. Isaiah 55 puts it beautifully. God says, my thoughts are not like your thoughts. Have have you ever spent much time in life like I have trying to figure out why God did what he did, when he did, and how he did it? Stop. Just stop. It ain't going to happen. Why? Because Isaiah says here, his thoughts are not like our thoughts. He doesn't think like a fallen human being. He doesn't think like a sinful human being. He doesn't think like a depraved human being. He's God and we're not. A lot of people are not in the church today. A lot of people are not following God today. A lot of people reject the Lord Jesus Christ because they can't figure it out. A lot of people have left the church. Oprah Winfrey was brought up in the Baptist church. And her pastor got up one Sunday and was preaching on the subject of God is a jealous God. Now, like it or not, Oprah Winfrey is an intelligent woman. I'm not talking about how smart she is. She is an intelligent human being. I ain't talking about her common sense. She is a highly intellectual person. She is. And that led to her downfall of her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when the, when the pastor said, God is a jealous God, she started trying to figure out, why would a God who is sovereign, why, why in, in, in layman's hillbilly terms, if God's all that, then why should he be jealous? And she began her journey away from the Christian faith. Why? Because God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And your ways are not like my ways, announces the Lord. So so we will get in a lot of trouble sometimes when we spend a lot of time trying to figure God out. Now, everything God wants us to know about him, he's written a book. It's the all-time bestseller. It's called the Bible. And everything God wants us to know, he's told us about himself. And everything God has told us about himself, is not in our ability to comprehend and know as many years as we spend on planet Earth and reading through this a million times, we'll never fully comprehend who and what God is. But what we do know, we receive by faith, don't we? We walk by faith. The heavens are higher than the earth. God says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Look at Psalms 113. Who is like the Lord our God? And the honest question and the, uh, the, the, the honest answer and the correct answer is this. Nobody. Who is like the Lord our God? Only his son Jesus and the Holy Spirit. He sits on his throne in heaven. He bends down to look at the heavens. In the earth. Is that, a, is that not a beautiful picture? That's not the clockmaker. That, that's the God who loves His creation. His, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But He loves us enough as He's sitting on His throne in heaven ruling sovereignly over all of creation He takes time to bend down from the heavens and look down upon the earth and manage and love His creation. In the Gospel of John, chapter 8, but Jesus said, You are from below, I am from heaven. You are from this world, I am not from this world. So what is God's relationship to his creation? Remember in Isaiah, chapter 6, verse 1 through 5, where Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up. Sees him high and lifted up, setting upon his heavenly throne. So the transcendence of God is best understood in God's kingship, his lordship. His transcendence means that he's sovereign over all of creation. But we don't want to make the mistake of believing that God is so other, that God is so distinct, that he is so separated, that he doesn't interact with creation that leads us to fall into deism. So not only is God transcendent, but he's also imminent. He's also imminent. Scripture teaches that not only is God transcendent, but he's also imminent, which means he is also present. Now, he's very distinct. He's far above us. He's high above us, but he is very involved. He's very present with us. Eminence refers to his presence on earth and especially his nearness to his people who's that the church those that have been born again those that are saved in the book of Deuteronomy the book that Jesus quoted most says this the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below see that he is Lord in heaven above and he is Lord on the earth below today you must agree with that and take it to heart there is no other God you believe that don't you So do I. I love this passage of Scripture. The Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Today you must agree with that and take it to heart. There is no other God. In the book of Joshua, chapter 2, when we heard about it, our hearts melted away in fear. Because of you, we weren't brave anymore. The Lord your God is the God who rules over heaven. And where else? The earth below he's imminent he's present again the book of isaiah chapter 57 the one who is highly honored lives forever his name is holy he says i live in a high and holy place but i also live with anyone who turns away from his sins what an awesome promise He's so distinct from us, but he so loves us that he's present with us. The one who is highly honored lives forever. He's holy. He's eternal. He's perfect. He's majestic. His name is holy. But listen to what he says. I live in a high and holy place, but I also live with anyone who turns away from their sins. I live with anyone who is not proud. I give new life to him, to her. I give it to anyone who turns away from their sins. This eminent talks about God's covenant promise with his chosen people. Think about the implications of this in your personal life. Here's the one truth that I preach every single time I walk into the nursing home especially in 2020, you may feel alone, but you're never alone if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I know you get lonely. I know you feel lonely. I know you can't see your family. The only people you see are the the, the people that's here to take care of you, and they've got masks on, and they've got, they're robed up. You can't, I mean, it takes all personality out of everything. You know the, the most the most wonderful thing that these masks take away from us, especially in a healthcare setting, is the ability to see one another smile. You know what powerful medicine a genuine smile is? God is present with his people. The four religions we looked at, the non Christian religions we looked at, None of those religions teach God is present with his people. You're on your own. You're on your own. That's why, when sometimes we bring up the subject of systematic theology, people say, Oh, I don't want to go there. That's dull. That's dry. That, that's boring. But think about it this way what could be more relevant? What could be more exciting? What could be more important than knowing that the holy and transcendent God of the universe who, who dwells in unapproachable light, because he's perfect and we're not, also purposefully draws close to you in unconditional love? Is that dry? Is that dull? Is that boring? No, you know why? Because it's the truth doctrine is not dry and boring it's not silly it's not important Psalm 145 and 18 listen closely to this the Lord is ready to help all those who call out him that's some of the most beautiful words you'll ever hear Majestic, sovereign, perfect God of the universe, the Creator, is ready. When's he ready, Steve? 24 7, 365, holidays included. Forever and always. In the daylight hours, in the nighttime hours. The Lord is ready to help all those who call out to him. He helps those who really mean it when they call out to him. Now, you got to be one of his to enjoy this promise. Creation is continually dependent upon Him for its existence and its proper functioning. Why do you think that every government upon planet Earth is trying to push God out of the equation? They're prideful. They're self-absorbed. They're power-hungry. They want the people to depend upon them for everything they want to be important they want to be high and lifted up they want to sit up on thrones do you not see it today more than ever church here is where we get our hope here is where we maintain our sanity here is why we don't get all worked up. Here's why our blood pressure don't go through the roof. Here's how, why we can just take a deep breath and say, in the midst of all the chaos I see going on, I know there is one who is high and lifted up and holy, and he's sovereign and he's providential. Listen to me. And he has all things under control. At all times, but brother Steve, you come across as someone who's not concerned. I wouldn't say I'm not concerned. I would say that I'm convinced God's in control and God's got this. But, 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 but. no buts. God's got this. The problem is we don't like the way it's going. Well, brother Steve, why is it going the way it's going? Have you not read the book? Brother Darrell, we'll stand and preach it. In the last days, perilous times will come. Why is the world in a mess? I just told you. Because the Bible said the closer to the end we get, the more unraveled and frayed this thing is going to become. And the people on the planet that ought to be calm and cool and collected and just trusting in the sovereignty of God should be the Christian people of the church. And we're the ones worked up the most. We're tore out of frame. we got to fix this. Fix what? Remember, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and his ways are higher than our ways. And he's not the cosmic clockmaker who's made the clock and wound it up and just backed off and just letting it go tick-tock, tick-tock. God has a reason for COVID-19. I don't know what that is because my thoughts are not his thoughts. God has a reason for the 2020 election and all the controversy attached to it. I don't understand what that is. God does I don't know how much longer I've got on planet earth I don't know how much longer you've got on planet earth but God does here's what I do know. here's what I do know. Jesus said these very words in John chapter 14 do not, say do not do not let your hearts be troubled that's an eternal statement God's people. Be tore up. Don't be upset. Don't lose your mind. Don't be troubled. Jesus said, if you believe in me, then believe in him. He's the one that sent me. Jesus was about to go into the most dreaded time of his earthly life. He's preparing to go to the cross. And he's letting these men know what you're about to see will cause you to lose your mind if you get caught up in the moment. But here's what Jesus was saying. I need you to click the mouse a few times, and I need you to go into Google Earth view. I need you to back off and see the big picture. That's what Jesus was telling. Don't let your heart be troubled. I'm about to go to the cross, and I'm about to be... Ridiculed and whipped and beaten. I'm going to come bloody and my flesh is going to be ripped from my body. And they're going to lead me up to a mountainside and they're going to nail me to the cross. And you're going to hear me say these words It is finished. And I'm going to give up the ghost and I'm going to close my eyes and life is going to leave my body and I'm going to fall limp upon that cross. And at nightfall, they're going to come and take me off of that cross, and they're going to put me in a cave. They're going to roll a big old stone at that door that no man himself can move. And they're going to put Roman guards there. And it's going to appear, say appear, it's going to appear that all hope is lost. But remember Google view like a seed being planted in the ground. I've got to be planted so that I can spring forth in resurrection power in order to go back to heaven and prepare a place for all of you. And I'm mixing a whole lot of teaching in here, but here's what Jesus also told them. The world's going to hate you because of me. But before you get all prideful in that, they're not hating you because you're you. They're hating on you because you belong to me, and they hated me first. Don't get tore up when the world hates you. It's a badge of honor. Wear it well. Don't wear it pridefully. Don't wear it arrogantly. Just know this, the world hates me. Praise God, I've been identified as a child of God. Right? Right? You ha- no, tell me again. You hate me? You're a lost individual. You don't believe in God, right? Right. And you hate me? Yeah. Why do you hate me? You're one of them Jesus freaks, and you go, praise the Lord. And they're like, uh-huh. come on, honey, that man's lost his mind. No, that man's living by truth. I threw all that in for free. That didn't cost you nothing. We'll finish up with this. Crown jewel of all creation. Adam and Eve. Humanity. Mankind. I do want to finish that up. He did say not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, in my father's house. Not here, there. He said, if it were not so, I would have told you. Listen what he said. I go to prepare a place for you that place is perfect it's heaven we're going to leave all this mess fix your eyes there fix your eyes there don't be don't be tangled up in the affairs of this world be light in the midst of darkness be hopeful in the land where there is no hope keep your eyes on the prize the lord jesus christ god created adam and eve the pinnacle of the whole creation account Is when God created Adam and Eve. I don't know the truth of this, and I don't want to speculate on wives' tales or anything else, but God did not speak Adam and Eve into existence, did he? Not directly, but indirectly he did, because he formed the man from the what? Dust of the earth. He did speak the dust of the earth into existence. But my curiosity sometimes runs away with me, and I just have to say, Steve, your thoughts aren't his thoughts, and your ways aren't his ways. Why didn't God say, let there be Adam? Poof! I don't know. But he did create Adam and Eve, didn't he? Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man. He made him out of the dust of the ground. He breathed. Now here, there, there's the absence of physical words but there's the breath of life and and when god spoke words he breathed them out of his mouth didn't he he made him out of the dust of the ground he breathed the breath of life into him and the man became a living person and then after that god created eve from adam's body so the lord god caused him to fall into a deep sleep and while the man was sleeping the lord god took out one of his ribs. Now think about this. This is the God of creation, and there's a reason for all of this. God is performing surgery. This is why we call him the great physician. He gave Adam anesthesia and put him out, and he opened up his side and removed a rib. This is surgery. He closed up the opening was in his side. Now, folks, from creation, here's what we got to understand about Adam and Eve. People's lost their minds today. Lost their minds today. I want to remind you of a phrase I hate worse than anything in the planet. God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Bingo. Bingo. Though distinct as male and female... Now get this, this is a teaching in and of itself. Though distinct as male and female, with distinct and particular roles, we have a hard time with that on planet Earth today. A man is a man, and he has a role to play, and a woman is a woman, and she has a role to play, and you're never more godly, and you're never more satisfied, and you're never more productive than when you perform the role that God gave you. Adam and Eve first share something that makes them both equal and qualitatively different from the rest of creation. So what is that? Now now God's already made the heavens and the earth and the birds and the fish and the insects and everything else and this is the crown jewel of creation and for the first time we hear these words let's make Man in our image see the birds and the fish and the insects and the trees they're not made in the image of God they're wonderful things God said this is good but it was only when he made Adam and Eve that God says let's make these in our image that sets us apart from all of creation folks Genesis 2, 21, 22. Then the Lord God made a woman. He made her from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to him. Again, though distinct as male and female, with distinct and particular roles, they share something that no other part of creation shares. They're made in the image of God. Made in the image of God. Look at chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own likeness. He created him in the likeness of God. He created them as male and female. So what does that mean that we're created uniquely in the image of God? Well, it means three things. It means three things. It means we image God in our essence. We image God in our functionality. And we image God in our... Relationally. Relationally, I like that better than my word. First, in our essence, what is our essence? Our nature. Our nature, our human nature. We're uniquely found to be intellectual. That's questionable at times with me, myself. But anyway, we're uniquely found to be intellectual, rational, moral, and spiritual. Now spiritual doesn't mean Christian. My role at signature health care is I am a regional director of spirituality. See, every every little old person in these nursing homes are not Christians. Especially when you get off the Cumberland Plateau. There's Buddhist and, and, and there's every religion known to man, and, and they have the right to believe what they want to believe. Can I get an amen? May not be right, but they have the right to believe what they have decided they want to believe as much as I have the right to believe what I want to believe. So don't let spiritual be confused with Christianity. Now one of the things I hate out of all creation is beavers. I hate beavers. Y'all y'all hate beavers? You should. They're evil creatures. They, they like to destroy our place a couple of years ago. I hunted beavers for a solid year. Our property was almost totally submerged underwater because of beavers. And and every time a beaver would build a dam, I'd go tear down the dam, the beaver would go upstream and build another dam. But I won. I defeated the beaver. You have beavers? Oh, I'm sorry, but you like beavers? Dynamite, that works. I didn't have any right to use that too. I enjoyed taking it apart piece by piece and just laughing at him because I knew he was somewhere standing this one's for you, beaver. A little bit of water flowed, and a little more water flowed. Here's what makes us different in our nature. Here's what makes us different in our essence. Beavers don't build altars to beaver gods in order to worship, do they? Turtles don't build altars to the turtle gods. Birds don't build altars to worship bird gods. Why do we do that? Because we're made in the image of God. Humanity is uniquely made in God's image. Second, functionally, we image God in that we're meant to rule. What did God say? God said, go multiply, go fill the earth, and rule over it. Functionally, we're created in the image of God. In Genesis 128, humanity is commanded to multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. And subdue it. Genesis one29 we're told to rule over it. Again, not as tyrants, not as tyrants who destroy it for our advantage, but as those who were given a stewardship to work it and watch over it. In Genesis 215. That makes us vice regents. We're God's vice regents, exercising his good authority over what he's made, because God said This is good. And what God says, this is good, then we protect it and we keep it what? We keep it good. We keep it good. Thirdly, we image God relationally. We image God relationally. We enjoy relationships, don't we? One of the banners hanging on the wall in the foyer says, fellowship. We promote fellowship. Fellowship is having relationships with one another, having friendships. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to share our lives together. We're to help one another through life. Practically, it's because we're made in God's image that human life is sacred. Why, why do I stand so hard against abortion? Number one, because it's wrong. Number two, because it's murder. Number three, because it's wrong. Number four, because it's murder. Because human life is created in the image of God, and that makes it sacred. That makes it holy. And we're supposed to protect life and promote life, not take innocent life. Can I get an amen? It has great value. We're not pets. We're not animals. When, 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 when our elderly people get to the point that they can't fully function in, in society anymore, and it almost seems like now they're dependent upon us, and we're taking care of them the way they took care of us when we were babies, folks that have alternate worldviews want to treat them like pets and say, hey, let's just put them down. They're costing too much money. They're, they're, they're causing us work. They're causing us money. They're, they're a burden on society. Let's do away with them. Is that what the Bible teaches? No, the Bible says honor your father and mother. What? From the point of birth to the point of death. Love them, cherish them, provide for them, protect them. Why? Because they did for you when you couldn't do for yourself. It's called the circle of life. Can I get an amen? Because God made us and God made us to be in relationship with Him and all that He's made, and because it's orderly and good, we can know much about the world and much about Him. About a relationship. Here's what's important the biblical account of creation is the foundation of our ability to know the truth about God. Preacher, why are you taking so much time to talk about creation? Because it tells us who God is. And what God is like and what the purpose of existence is and it all begins with the foundation of creation Romans chapter 5 verse 19 many people were made sinners because one man did not obey but one man did obey that is why many people will be made right with God brother Steve why would you talk about that particular verse Some folks will tell you that have an alternate world view is that Adam and Eve were these mystical, mythical creatures that never existed. It's just hypothetical, it's just poetry, it's just an idea. But Jesus himself in Matthew's gospel, us men just read this recently concerning divorce, he talked about the first Adam and he talked about Eve as literal people, did he not? And see, we believe creation account, we believe the the biblical account, we believe that Adam was really a man that was really made from the dust of the earth, and God really did breathe his life into him, and he became a living being. We believe that, don't we, church? And we believe that God put Adam to sleep and opened up his side and took out a rib and made a woman and, and sealed that back up, and he brought the woman to man and said, here's your helpmate, love her, protect her, and you all do life together. We believe that, don't we, church? And because of the first Adam, we needed the second Adam. What this verse says in Romans 5 19. Many people were made sinners because one man did not obey the first Adam. But one man did obey the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why many people, we be made right with God. Remember what I said last week? Without creation, there is no Christianity. The first man sinned, Jesus sent a Savior, and now we're in the church age. And that's going to soon come to a close. I'm looking for Jesus, aren't you? I'm looking for the rescuer. Here's the key. If there's no Adam and there's no Eve, then the Bible is wrong on creation. And there is no sin and there is no salvation. But I believe the creation account, don't you? I believe the creation account. I believe there was an Adam. I believe Adam did sin. I believe God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I believe there is a Savior, and I believe there is Christianity. Don't you? And that's the hope of the world, and that's the purpose for our existence as a church: is to love God supremely, to love others as much as we love ourselves, and to give hope. And to give hope—that's our mission finish up, why does the doctrine of creation matter? Because God of covenant is God of creation. Because God of creation has the power to bring about a new creation. Our future hope of salvation is built upon the God who has the ability to make all new that's the importance of creation can I say that again our future hope of salvation is built upon a God who has the power to make all things new he's still creating Jesus said I go away to prepare a place for you that meant he was still creating didn't it absolutely stand with me tonight and we'll pray God of heaven our creator our sustainer sovereign Lord of the universe the God of providence God we love you because you first loved us God you love us with perfection and you love us unconditionally God help us to use the Bible help us to use your book as a mirror on a daily basis. Father, not trying to keep up with the Joneses and not trying to keep up with Hollywood and not trying to image anyone or anything else, but help us to strive to be more like you, your son Jesus. God, help us every day to see where we come up short. Father, convict us. Help us repent of the sin that remains in our lives. make our hearts heavy because of the disobedience that we find ourselves involved in on an ongoing basis. God, call us to holiness. Fill us brand new with your Holy Spirit. The power, the power that brought us to you and keeps us with you and is going to carry us home one day. Again, God, we love you because you first loved us. We pray for our church. We pray for our community. We pray for the individuals and the families that make up hope in Christ fellowship. And we pray your perfect will be done in our hearts and lives day by day by day. We pray all this in the mighty, wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have an awesome, awesome week.